Hello, this is Brian McCormick. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Don Green. Don is the Executive Director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation and a board member at the University of Virginia WISE campus. The Napoleon Hill Foundation that Don directs is a nonprofit educational institution dedicated to making the world a better place in which to live. Among other things, Napoleon Hill authored the all-time bestseller, Think and Grow Rich. Hill established the foundation as a nonprofit educational institution whose mission is to perpetuate his philosophy of leadership, self-motivation, and individual achievement. Before his current stint at the Napoleon Hill Foundation and his experience as a board member at the university, Don Green excelled during his career in banking. Don also achieved great success as an entrepreneur. Enjoy the interview I conducted with Don Green and gain the wisdom of his leadership insights. What about your favorite quote? My, my favorite quote, the one I got, the one I got on my, one I got on my desk is, if it is to be, it's up to me. And uh, for many, many years, I've carried that thing around uh, uh, with me in my desk, and uh, uh, on my desk rather, and and uh, and one stuck in my, on my in my car. But I guess when I get up from one, I got a, a card to buy where I eat my oatmeal in the morning. It's, it's from Psalms. It's uh, one eighteen twenty four. It says, uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I think uh, it's very important to get up and realize every day is a, a new, it's a new world every day. And, um, and to start off with a, with a, a good, good attitude uh, when you get up and expect the whole day to go the same way. Sure. Now, what the if it is to be, it's up to me. Is is that attributable to anyone in particular? Well, you know, I saw it in quite a few places. I'd have to go back and and, and think. Uh, well, I know I know one of the books that we recently did uh, by a guy by the name of Cabot Roberts, who's the founder of the National Speakers Bureau. We have a book called "We on the Copyright of Success with People." Uh, he quoted a thing in it, and I'm sure I've seen it other places, but. Uh, that one jumps out at me. That's, that's the last time I've seen it in print somewhere, and I can't recall right off where I've seen it before that. I, that book came out in July of last year, and I, and I remember improving it and all that. I ran across it, and I said, hey, that's my quote. So I don't know where else it is. It, to me, it's kind of like that Kennedy uh, that Kennedy said uh, about uh, some people see things why and, 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 and say why not and so forth and so on. And he, you know, he, he, got, he gets attributed to it, but... Uh, it actually came from one of the British writers, I think Burns, you know, verbatim. But if a person uses a quote, you know, you see that quote, Jesse Jackson's and uh, other people have said, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up, you know. And, sure. and if somebody else uses the quote over and over again, it gets tri- attributed to them. Right. Uh, I've even seen the quote to uh, Jesse Jackson in a book by the editor of uh, Random House that quoted what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. Well, I don't know, I've seen anybody use it quicker than, uh, sooner than previous to heal, but if one person uses it over and over again, and then it kind of sticks with them, so sure. don't guess it really, don't guess it really matters. Gotcha. What about your favorite book and why? 
my favorite book. I guess I guess I'd have to be a little prejudiced and say Think and Grow Rich. Uh, that has had the most influence on me. I read it as a young person, and then when I discovered he was the author was Napoleon Hill was from Wise. Uh, then it made, made me not only want to read all of his books and read them over and over and over, but also to read the books that influenced him. Like he read uh, Jackson Smiles, uh, or Samuel Smiles, which was a British writer uh, that wrote a book called Self-Help Psychology. Probably the first one out there on self-help, the first one I know of. Uh, and uh, but he read a guy by the name of Orson Martin in the RDN, and um, that guy he mostly wrote. Golly, I don't know. I've read one of his books. I get a hold of most of them was out of print, but um, he he read him and um, he read Albert Hubbard. Um, gosh, he he, uh, uh, he read Lincoln, and um, so I, I guess I would say Thinking Grow Rich has had the most influence on me because you know here I end up. Uh, Working for the foundation, and uh, I read the book as a young person, and it had a lot of, had a lot of influence on me on goal setting and realizing you could be more than what uh, it probably appears that you should be, just according to birth and the family you're born into and the neighborhood you grow up in, grow up in, that you could uh, be more than what uh, what was probably expected of you. Sure. What about books that you would recommend for aspiring leaders? Would those be the same ones? Other Hill books, because, again, I'm prejudiced. I like success through a positive attitude. But, but also, you know, like I read uh, Charlie Jones, is my uh, friend, my mentor. I, I read his book, uh, Life is Tremendous, a long time ago. In fact, I still got the, I still got the copy that his, of his I read because I went through it more than once, and I have a habit of marking my books up when I see things stand out. So uh, Charlie's old book, Life is Tremendous, which has sold a couple of million copies, I think is a tremendous book because it's a, uh, it just uh, just the title itself is worth a lot because life is tremendous. But uh, also, growing up, I read the biographies of people like uh, uh, Lincoln and other 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 people that uh, you know it shaped our our histories and and, uh, and like the book Booker T. Washington. I loved his uh, thing of success. He said success should be judged on what obstacles a person had to overcome. And Jerry, you know, he was born in slavery mm-hmm. and didn't know who his father was, and uh, and then to grow up. And, and um, become educated, and then found the Tuskuski uh, Institute, and uh, and advanced the uh, uh, cause for this. Uh, they referred to as Negroes, but uh, books on him and, and books that he wrote, like he wrote up from slavery, uh, and just uh, just tremendously inspirational, I think. Uh, but I've read lots of books. I've read and read and read and read. That was uh, about all we had when I was growing up. We didn't. Uh, I grew up. We didn't have a bathroom house. I think I was a junior in high school, so yeah. we didn't have a lot of we didn't have books in the home. I mean, that was just you know, just the background. But I read uh, Claude Bristol's Magic. I believe he books like uh, Wake Up and Live by Dorothy uh, uh, Brandy, and um, you know, I just I just read I read anything I could get my hands on, especially inspirational biographies, autobiographies, and uh, and so forth. Okay, what about? A current personal passion. Well, I guess right at the present time, rather than trying to be a good husband and a good father and a good grandfather, uh, I'm involved in the, in the college, and I have uh, two passions. Uh, one of them is the foundation. Uh, we're located on the University of Virginia. Wise, I was a trustee 
I was uh, uh, asked to sit on the board by the late uh, W. Clement Stones. He was our he was our chairman of the board. He had asked me to attend a meeting and interviewed me and asked me to become a trustee. And just promoting the Napoleon Hill bit. You know, the man died in 1970, but uh, we've been through blessed and through uh, help and I guess a little bit of hard work. But we've been able to uh, publish this stuff all over the world. For example, I did a large contract with China, and China's not noted to pay royalties. You know, they just copy or translate what they want and right. put it out there and sell it. But uh, we got a large advance from them to uh, one of their larger publishers, and uh, they've been real nice. They paid the advance before we ever did anything with them, and they've been very cooperative. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I spent a week with Charlie Jones at the uh, Frankfurt Book Fair, which is the largest in the world, and uh, made contact with Russians. And by now, we are either have published everything in Russia or in the process of it. And they've been just... Uh, Wonderful to work with, just so cooperative and friendly, and and paid us money, which is what we uh, what we have to have to keep the foundation going. But that's a passion because uh, we probably give Purdue a couple million dollars, and then uh, we've done uh, we founded a chair in Hill's name here at the University of Virginia. Also, we endowed twelve scholarships at the University of Virginia. The contacts I've uh, done contracts in the Farsi, F-A-R-S-I language which is Afghanistan and Iran. And, um, you know, we may even, we have think we'll break the mold in the, in the Middle East at a bigger than what's been done in the past. But we've had outstanding results in all in the, like Japan, we've been there for 30 years. Wow. Our royalties are absolutely tremendous. We've sold millions and millions and millions of books in Japan. Hmm. They're so loyal to us. They visit about three times a year. Uh, I went over at their expense, uh, spent a couple of weeks uh, with them a couple of years ago, and they traveled one end of the island to the other. But uh, we've just made friends all all over the world, and uh, basically it's been through, our, through the books, you know, just uh, uh, through the books in Malaysia. We've done real well in Malaysia. I visit her in Singapore, Hong Kong. It's just been a miracle that, uh, that we take books of someone who's been dead that long. And, and they're, they're, they're more popular than it was than when he died. Well, they're powerful words. But that's... Well, you know, most of these guys, and I won't throw any names out there, but if you take a bestseller today, his book probably lasts a year, 18 mm-hmm. months. Right. And, and, and we have what uh, Random House referred to, the last uh, meeting I went to see them on a book that we had came out last year. They said, our books have good shelf life. And, you know, simply meaning that they're in demand for a long period of time. Right. And in uh, the books uh, of Hills uh, still sell well. Mm-hmm. What about your? Would if I ask you about your dream, would that be the same as that? Or some people, it's the same. Others have a slightly different take on a dream. No, my, I guess you know. I guess a whole lot of people. I, I have a dream that we all learn to get along. That we that, that we learn that. That we're 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 different from all the other things out there breathing, and then we have creativity. I thought I was president of a bank when I was 41 years old, and I I taught a class up here to college on this material for seven years, I guess, as a night class when I was a bank president. And I used to tell the kids in class was that if they learn if they learn creativity and stir and 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 learn what being creative man is, they would never have to. T- 
try to figure on how to get something for nothing. And I, I used to use an example. I said, I said, it's so easy to make money in this country. It's it's almost it's almost sinful. I don't mean to ego or to brag or anything, but I've had money ever since I was five years old. I learned to make money when I was five years old, and it's and that part's been been real real easy to me. But I used to use an example for creativity. I told them, I said, you know, you you don't have to counterfeit money. You can make money so easy it is unbelievable. I said, all you got to do is have an idea. And I used the bank because I was prejudiced. I worked in banking 38 years. But I said, you have an idea. Go in to see a guy at the bank. He's in there to loan money, he or she, and tell them what your idea is. And if the idea to them makes sense and you've studied it and can talk and show them what your plan is, there's no limit to it except what's in your mind. You can borrow 10000 or 20000 And the way the process works is you tell them the idea, they'll fill out some papers, they'll let you sign a document, they'll either write you a cashier's check and give to you to deposit, or they'll give you a little slip of paper showing you they've put ten or $20,000 into your checking account. At that very moment, money was created and never existed before. Hmm. And there is no limit to how many times you can do it. Now, of course, there is a liability comes with that. There's an obligation. you got to get out there and do something other that you can pay the money back. You can go to the beach one if you want to, boy, but you got to do something other to, to uh, pay it back. But as long as you keep having ideas that you can, that you believe in and have a passion about and have a plan for and will stick with it and make the plan turn out, then you can keep doing it over and over and over. There's no limits to it. And it's really all that simple. I said, you just have to think that way that you can come up with an idea where it is to get out and study real estate and uh, and find a piece of land that had a good buy and can see yourself in buying it. Then as Will Rogers said, don't wait and buy real estate. Buy real estate and then wait until something else comes along. And I, don't, I sold a piece of land, uh, I guess, I don't know what it was, three years ago or so to Walmart for a Walmart Supercenter. And I had a friend ask me, how did you know you was going to sell that land to Walmart? I said, I didn't know I was going to sell it to Walmart, but I said, the circumstances I got under, the attorney and his partner split up. There were some things one of them got indicted, and I said, I approached them about buying a piece of land. I said, hey, it was on a U.S. highway, four-lane divided, at an intersection, at a red light, and uh, and there were about 40,000 cars a day going by. You didn't have to be too smart. <laughs> the thing was to find out, been able to wait the thing through till somebody come by that uh, that could see the possibilities of like you did and would be willing. And I said, I didn't know Walmart did, but I honestly, to goodness, thought uh, I'm a uh, believer in the company. I thought maybe someone like Walgreen, that would be an ideal, knowing they always pick the best location. I said, now, that would be an ideal spot for a Walgreen. We don't have one. That would be a good place for a Walgreen. It did turn out to be Walgreen, but it ended up being Walmart. Which is okay, also. Right, but uh, but I think that's one of the I think that's one of the hardest thing, yet one of the most important thing, is to I guess Job called it vision, but being having creativity, being able to see things uh, that can come about, and not what they are now, but what they can be. And I think that's uh, I think that's just extremely urgent. It's an absolute uh, necessity in business for you to be able to see where you're going to be in a year or 18 months or three years or five years. What about either a place in the world you most like to visit or a place you haven't been that you would like to visit? Either way. 
Well, you know, I've I've enjoyed the Orient uh, more than once to Malaysia and Hong Kong and China and uh, Japan and what have you. For some reason, another, I guess I click Russian art. I, I like to visit Russia, and I guess that's partly the reason I worked hard on them. Um, I, I think I would, uh, I think I would like to visit Russia, and uh, I, I have, I have not visited Russia, but uh, I'm sure I'll get the opportunity here in a, a year or two. But now I've enjoyed all the travel lines. I, I, I guess I look forward to places I've not been. That would be Russia. Okay. What do you think have been, I mean, you've, you've mentioned a number of experiences. Anything else that you can think of that's been vital to your development? One of them, no doubt, was getting married. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to provide for a family. And then getting, uh, I guess, opportunities like opportunities to uh, work in a bank. I, I didn't know nobody worked in the banks. And, uh, and then getting the opportunity at an at, after having eight years' experience uh, in, a, in a bank, going from a bank to going as president, of course, and looking back over it, uh, probably if I had known as much as I should have known, I probably wouldn't took the job. It was a uh, SNL that was basically was broke. They come in to close it down, and they gave me an opportunity and uh, made money after one full year. They lost a, they was losing half a million a year, and I made ninety thousand, then two hundred, and then four hundred, and then six. time so you know just to given the opportunity having the uh, uh i think was uh, was wonderful the opportunity to sit on the board of the uh, napoleon hill foundation i think was uh well, it's not like work i mean you know it's so unbelievably enjoyable it I, I don't even i don't think of it as work it's it's so pleasant and so rewarding with the contacts we have with the kids i the kids still that i taught when i was in school i still hear back from them and the, and the students visit and the fact is that we're doing scholarships and uh, so forth in the context we have all over the world. The uh, people who come to visit from um, the uh, foreign countries, you know, from Taiwan and from China and from South Korea and Malaysia. And, I mean, most of them visit every year. I mean, I guess they're, they're world travelers. But uh, I think the Japanese were here like three times last year. And they basically just come to stay a few days, you know. And uh, just wonderful that we can make friendships like that. And I think we have to do them one at a time. Surely the world's better off for the uh, friendships that we make in all these countries. I just couldn't believe that any of them would want to go to war or anything with us. I just wish we could get through to all of them. And of course, that's what we're trying to do. Right. What about anything different? If if I ask you about the turning points in your life, or would they would that kind of go along with the last? I think I think it's pretty close. It no doubt uh, getting married. That's an awakening. And then having a child and, and having to um, provide. But each thing I've looked at, uh, back, there was an opportunity. Uh, when I was with someone and I worked a number of years and saw an opportunity, I never badmouthed the people I used to work for. The last bank I was with, I was there. I was president, I guess, uh, I guess 19 years. And we sold out. I worked a year after I sold out. People was very kind to me. Don't have any harsh things to say about any of the people I used to work for. They all gave me an opportunity, and um, I, I always looked at it as learning. They give me a chance to learn something. I didn't, I never looked at it as work because it's, everything was new every day, and I wanted to learn as much as I learned as much as I could. And I wasn't just satisfied with uh, just doing what I had to do. I always practiced that going the extra mile. I took 
night courses. Well, in fact, I got my degree going to night school. And I took courses. I took Dale Carnegie course in public speaking. I belonged to city clubs, and uh, you know I was involved in the community. And I continuously read the economic stuff, and uh, you know, in the banking, and went to banking school, went to graduate school banking at Rutgers. And you know, I just kept. I was never satisfied with the status quo. I just kept trying to improve and to reach out and uh, and do new things and make new contacts and uh, and to just to uh, improve on the results. Sure. My favorite question is is asking people what their story is. If if there's a story that you can think of that kind of says what you're all about, or it could be a metaphor or analogy uh, for you, your life, your leadership, or your place in the world. So you can take that in in any of a hundred different directions. Um, is there anything you could think of to share on that one? Well, well, I guess in the entrepreneur spirit, because uh, I've been involved in lots of things. I don't know whether you realize or not, but my dad was a coal miner, and I, when I was five years old, uh, before I started school, he, uh, there were four boys and a girl, and uh, at the time there were only four boys, but uh, he, we lived in a rural area in the mountain, we're in the mountains of uh, southwest Virginia, real mountains, and one of the things that coal miners do, and still, some of them still do, was they would hunt herbs like ginseng. Back then, I think it was about $20 a pound, and now I think it's two or $300. It's a rare thing they the Chinese specific, I don't know where you're familiar with ginseng, but it's a small root, small vegetable, a plant that grows in the woods, has a root, takes a long time for it to mature. And those guys would hunt that uh, stuff in the woods. They would just simply get a little tool to dig with and a satchel, and then we just uh, would go through the woods. Well, we had some other herbs that grew along the riverbank. One of them was called May Apple. Now, it wasn't that expensive. It was a green plant. It had a root. I think it's used primarily in some types of medicine. But it was around 20 cents a pound or so. And it wasn't real easy to dig a pound. It took a lot of digging. And we used a tool, what we call a matic, and, um, to dig with. And Dad taught me how to do that one summer. I accumulated my may apple, and you had to dry it. You had to climb up on a little metal building, you know, a chicken roost or something, other than spread the roots out until they dried because they wouldn't buy them until they dried out. Okay. Now, when that stuff got dried, and of course, with the other stuff he had, he kept mine separate. And when we went to a place at uh, nearby by a little area that bought that, I had three dollars. I made three dollars. I don't have any days, how much, how many hours, or whatever, but I got three dollars. And that that three dollars, no doubt, tickled me more than selling a piece of land at Walmart. Sure. Because because that instilled something other in me that stayed with me. As I got a little bit bigger, I learned to pick corn out of the garden, set a little fan up beside the road and sell ears, roasting ears, and things out of the garden. And then at uh, such a Christmas time, we'd take a handsaw and go to the backside of the farm and cut down little trees and drag them out of the woods and build a bonfire. For, we was out of school about two weeks prior to Christmas and sell Christmas trees and learn to uh, a little bush that's called holly. It's got red berries on it. We'd strip the limbs off that and bundle it up and sell that. And mistletoe would get climbed up. Black guns would get mistletoe out. That's that thing you hold over the door to mm-hmm. just the pretty girls that come by. <laughs> and then to make money. And and I always made money. And, you know, I cut mining timbers. I had, I did so many with a hand, with a hand saw, not a, as before the as before a parasol. I think I was probably in the ninth grade I loaned my oldest brother down payment on that to buy his first house. Wow. Those things, but I can go back to the first lessons and uh, 
in the days were they stuck they stuck with me. Uh, I, I never could understand people having money problems. It's just hard for me to believe in this country that people would ever have financial problems. But there's so many opportunities out there. I mean that you could. Uh, there's more, and there's more opportunities now than they've ever, and they've ever been. I had a guy one day tell me, he said, you know, with the high income tax and all, I said, he said, people can't get rich like they could back before the income tax. And I said, somebody needs to get, get a hold of Bill Gates, don't they? And tell him that. I said, well, Bill, Bill needs to know that. Uh, you know, so, but it's one of my things is that if people, they love to blame someone. That's the reason of the sign. You know, you look in the mirror and say, if it is to be, it's up to me. You can blame your employer. You can blame your spouse. You can blame your in-laws. And in the last resort, you can blame federal government. The taxes are too high. And you can blame, you, there's always somebody there to, there's always somewhere to blame. I always love paying my income tax. Oh, I absolutely love paying my income tax because I know I've made good. And, uh, and so when <clears throat> the old CPA has done my taxes forever and ever, Said down and tell him what I'm going to do is, and he said, "You know, you're going to have to pay some estimated taxes again." And I said, "Tell me how much." I said, <laughs> "I said, be more than glad to." I said, "The first year I don't pay any taxes, then I'm really going to worry." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, that's good. What about ad- advice to aspiring leaders? I guess from reading and what I've read was uh, is. Um, being a leader exactly means what it, it uh, what it means, and that, that means to lead, and that's mean by showing the example. I love that. I don't know where you've read it. You probably have. I love Eisenhower's example of him taking a string and laying it down on a desk trying to get his point across, and he would push the string. Of course, it don't push. Right. It's on the other end and pulls it. And he said, a leader don't push, they pull. And uh, I, I think uh, that's doing it by example. I remember telling one of my young guys one time was, he came in late a few days, and of course I, I was probably easy to work for, probably not demanding, but I thought I was rather easy to work for. But I told him, I said, you know, I've worked every many years, it was 32 years on the bank, and I've always been the first one here and the last one to leave. I guess I've not learned much. <laughs> and, and a few days later, he told me, I understand what you mean. I said, well, it's simple. Uh, I said, a lot of the best things that you get done is before the other people start calling on you. You've got a few things, you know, you've got to prioritize what you're doing. You make a list out of what you're going to work on. And the first thing of the morning, you know, you get the most important thing and get out of the way. And it may be only one or two things that you get out of the way before everybody else starts coming in and saying, hey, about this, how about this loan, how about this one here, and start seeking advice and coming to you. I said, it's when that quiet times that you're alone, that you're by yourself, that you can uh, you can get something read or you can get something done or you can put a plan together when it's quiet. And I said, remember a guy interviewed me one time, and that guy's still a friend. He founded a bank when he was in his late 20s, and he's a true entrepreneur, and he's worth many, 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 many bucks. But he told me when when uh, I interviewed for him when I was, uh, I guess, in my 30s, he said that working 15 minutes a day longer than somebody else, he said, don't make a lot of difference. He said that day it didn't. He said in a week it won't make a lot of difference. He said over a month probably don't make a lot of difference. But over a year, over five years, over 10 years, over 20 years, working a few minutes, and I don't mean just being at work. I mean actually applying yourself right. will make all the difference in the world. Hmm. Very true. 
What about a most admired leader, and why? I guess I got to go back in history. Hey, Blinken, I read his books when I was probably, you know, started in, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I read every book that I could ever get my hands on on Lincoln when I was growing up. And I guess if you think of his same as no education and what he went through with and all, and he had honest, he was honest, had integrity. And gosh, we think, if you've ever visited Springfield, that you, uh, the, uh, Museum of Lincoln's, they opened up, I guess, a couple of years ago. I spent a whole day in it. Okay. One of my trustees. But we think of Bush being treated by the press and by the elite and so forth and the, and the people on the far left or what. Golly, Lincoln, he was treated so harsh. It's absolutely unbelievable. If you look at uh, cartoons, they uh, portray him as a baboon, and the harshness they treated him was absolutely unbelievable at a time when the country was, uh, his very survival was at stake. And he performed brilliantly at a time, no doubt, the, no doubt the most critical time in a nation's history. You know, you got to admire him, especially the, he didn't have the background, he didn't have the education. He's uh, basically self-taught through uh, books that he was able to borrow. So I've always admired him. Okay. You have some unique views on compensation. Could you talk a little bit about those? I used to, I had a real simple thing. Of course, I, the board uh, finally caught on to it. That it was a con job, but I never asked for a raise. Mm-hmm. I just said, guys, here's the results. I think the employees I got this group here, I think, deserve 10%. This group right here, I think, deserves 5 to 7%, whatever. I would get that accomplished, and then somebody would say, well, how about Don? I remember one of my trustees whose dad founded the bank says, give Don here what he wants, and said he'll earn it. Of course, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to him. But, uh, but it was always real easy because I looked out for everybody, and I never went past review time in my whole life in the thirty years in banking that I wasn't treated well, and that I, and that I didn't get what I thought was a was a fair increase. But I never asked for it. Hmm. I just tried to. I just tried to lay the results out there and say, guys, here's what we did. Here's what we did. And I do the same thing with the foundation board because this is a uh, my income outside is a they they pay me a a tremendous salary with my my income, my investment stuff outside is a lot more than what I make with the foundation. But I never would ask some guys for anything. I just say, here's the cash we got on hand, here's the grants we made, here's our financial position, and give them a report each month and show them what we've done. And uh, they'll take five minutes, and I I tell them, hey, here's Anita, here's Judy, here's Chino, here's the other people, and here's what they're making, and I would like to give them this percentage. And they always say yes. And I never asked them for anything. And then they can do what they want with me. Sure. And I never had a problem with them, and this is seven years. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a rarity, I think, in, in the world today, but I, I think a great lesson for people to learn. Well, most people, I believe in, I've read Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, on the on law of compensation, and it basically says was, that uh, if you do the work, you'll be paid for it. And if your employer slides and overlooks you, some other employer out there will recognize you and hire you away. And I've always believed that because you make. I never went. I never just go seeking for a job. People, they, they, at the, I was eight years in a bank. The bank sold out. And I worked there a year, and the people at the other bank contacted me and said, "Hey, we got a position as a, a CEO of the bank, and we'd like to interview you." And I interviewed them one night, and. Do a little bit about the condition the bank was in, and I told them, I said, well, 
I have some things I'd like to do, and you guys are agreeable to it and will uh, lead me along. I said, uh, I think we can do the job. I've never had to go. I, the foundation, actually, is funny. When we sold the bank out this last time, I had not been there, I said, 19 years, and I agreed to work a year after we sold it out. The other trustees knew it. Our guy was a director. He was probably 70-something having some health problems. And they knew we sold the bank, and I worked for a year, and right before my year was up, I actually was going to develop a spring water. I had 90-some acres down in Cumberland Gap. That's the mountains that Daniel Boone came through going out west. Mm-hmm. And I had 92 acres of land that had spring water on it, and I had been reading on spring water. I'd accumulated a file about a foot thick, and I've been studying it for four or five years, and that's now when I retire, I'm going to develop spring water. That's a growing demand. And I was already selling the 40,000 gallons of water a day to just raw water. <clears throat> that's what I was going to do. Okay. And them guys called me and said, hey, we need somebody to run the foundation. And uh, they, they said, we think you can do it, uh, you know, finances and so forth. And I said, and uh, one of them said, well, how about books? I said, I have love for books. I said, I'll never embarrass you. You guys want me to write. I have one request is I'd have to move it from Chicago. I don't want to reroute my family. I can handle it from Wise. It's not any problem. This is where he's born. I'll set up down there and I'll do it. And I said, the first year at I embarrass you is I've not showed results. Y'all won't have to tell me anything. I'll go off and do somebody else. I said, I'll never embarrass you. I said, all you got to do is look at the bottom line. I'm, I'm results-oriented, and if I can't show you the results, then I said, I won't embarrass the other trustees. I would have to say <clears throat> that they're tickle pink, and I can give you the phone number. You can call her one of them, and I'm, there's four other ones besides me, and I'm sure they would all be in uh, in total agreement that uh, I've done terrific. Hmm. That's and, when I can't, and when I can't, I'll give it up. Sure. Because I, I would embarrass myself. Because sure. I'm not, I'm not doing this thing because I because I need the money. Right. What are the traits most important in a leader? Just the first one jumps out to me is having integrity. Because without that, it doesn't matter. You can be the smartest person in the world, but uh, but uh, if you're not honest and, and have integrity, that people uh, look up to you and know what you uh, have principle. You know, I don't care how many schools you went through and and. And how many MBAs you got, and what have you? If you don't have integrity, people are not going to respect you. You may get ahead for a while, but uh, it'll catch up with you. Okay. What do you think organizations can do that either encourages or conversely stifles leaders? I've always believed in uh, that tree of people call it uh, management about walking around, but. But I believe if you get good people that you encourage them is the best thing you can do is be an encourager and treat them with respect. I don't, but you hold them accountable. You expect the results out of them, but you don't stand over them and look over their shoulders. You you give them a job to do and you check and see what they've done and then you may say, uh, have you thought about this or what have you? But you got involved in it. I remember back way back a long time ago when we had we run contests. I was working for CIT in the finance industry. And uh, we always won. Every time they won a contest, it would be 20 officers or what the division was. And we all, I can't never remember. We always won. And so finally one of them asked me what I did. I said, well, I said, we start off even. I said, y'all put the, y'all put the thing out there saying the uh, the guy manager is going to get uh, 100 points for doing something other, and the assistant gets 50 points, and the other people down through there gets 20 or something lesser number. I said, I just get my people together and said, we're going to win this thing. I tell you, we're going to win it. Everybody's going to contribute. Everybody's going to, but at the end, we're all going to divide the thing up equal. I'm no more important than the rest of you. I said, but I'm going to be with you 
but I'm going to be seeing that everybody gets results because we're not going to let one or two mess it up for everybody else because we're, everybody's going to be held accountable, but we're all going to share equally in the thing when it's all said and done. That's all it took. Hmm. Okay. What about tra- training programs out there for leaders? Anything you would recommend? Either? Well, there's, a lot, there's lots and lots of good ones, but... Uh, I guess, and I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a professional paid speaker. I think one of the greatest ones is they'd be involved in, like, uh, later I took the Dale Carnegie and the other courses, but Toastmasters or Qantas Clubs or any of them where they, people have to stand up and think on their feet and in front of a group. I don't care whether it's two people or 10 or, or, or 200 or whatever. Be involved in boards. I'm chairman of the board of a local hospital and have been for two, uh, uh, percent ideas and uh, information to other people. I think all those things training you to think and and anything that encourages you to do that, to speak in front of groups, I think is uh, tremendous. The information is available today that if you or I woke up one morning and said, you know, I would like to become the world's foremost authority on the tree frog. That's a little green frog that climbs right. up. And then we could go to the internet, to the libraries and what have you, and study that and study that. And within a period of time, a year or two years or whatever, we could come to the foremost world's foremost authority on that particular subject because the information is there, and it's not lack of information that's um, that uh, that's needed. It's getting that information and being able to plan with it and put it into action for a desired result. Right. Good point, Don. Could you talk a little bit about the transition? you've made from a career in banking to your position with the Napoleon Hill Foundation? Last speech I took, I, I explained to him about going to a book fair and how simple meeting someone and how taking a an idea for a book and translating it into a book and selling it to a foreign country and getting them to agree to pay you advance just based on conversation and them paying for the, not only the translation, but them paying you advance and, uh, and agreeing to uh, put the book out in a, in a foreign country. I love love of books. You know, that was my background. Uh, and I said, now I probably know 1% about book public publications, but, uh, but I'm learning. But to take something that's completely different from what banking was, a new field, and, uh, and make a go of it, just a very interesting process. Don, what final insight could you offer? Well, I said I had a. I, had, I was thinking I had a teacher by the name of Marvin Gillum, who's now dead, and I was asked to be Paul Bird at his funeral. But he taught me a class in high school, and I remember him reading Robert Browning's poem. Don't remember the title of the book, the poem, but it, in the poem it said, "One's reach, reach, R E A C H, should exceed his grasp, or what else is a heaven for?" And uh, at the time, I didn't mean it too much, but I think it meant as humans, we should always be striving to do better. Mm. And uh, and I think that's what makes life interesting. We should always wake up every day thinking we can make a difference and we can improve things. Terrific. I like that. Well, thank you very much for your time, Don. It's been a great pleasure. Okay, Brian. Thank you, and thank you for your interest. This concludes the Leadership Conversation with Don Green. Check back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.